There was a time, and I am so glad that it's over, when all you heard was, print is dead, it's all about online now. As much as I love my blog, there is nothing like holding a book or magazine in your hands and cuddling into the sofa to read it. Thank goodness my guests felt the same way. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Three weeks ago, Benita Finanzio and Rob Ellison launched The Tonic Magazine, the world's newest drinks magazine. Or should I say, a heady cocktail of drink, travel, and adventure. They've collected stories all about booze that reach from North Korea to Iceland to Haiti, San Francisco, and back again. So warm up that mulled wine, nestle into your couch, and settle in to find out how Benita and Rob mixed up all those ingredients and created the Tonic Magazine. Before that, I wanted to tell you about an initiative that Mila Walker, a past Lush Lifer, has put together to help out-of-work bartenders. The CocktailFactory.uk is a monthly cocktail subscription club, and every month they partner with a bartender made redundant by COVID-19 to create a range of delicious, ready-to-drink, bespoke cocktails. To directly support the bartenders they work with, 50% of all profits goes to them. So check it out the next time you want cocktail delivery. Now, on to Benita and Rob. I was so excited to get my copy of Tonic, which I'm holding in my hands right now. And I am lucky enough to have the one with Michael Caine on the cover, because you know I love Michael Caine. Yes. yes. And it's a heady cocktail of drink, travel, and adventure, which we all need right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we um, do. <laughs> so I want to know everything about how you got to this day and how I am holding this in my hands. Maybe we'll start with Benita. Mm-hmm. Why don't you start with a little bit about where you grew up? Sure. So I grew up in suburban Melbourne in Australia, the daughter of an Italian immigrant. He moved to Australia after the war when he was 10 and an Australian mum. So I had the best of both worlds, great food and good barbecue at the same time. I studied to be a teacher. I went to uni, studied to be a teacher and came over here 15 years ago to get a bit more experience and learn how to manage classrooms because that's what people in Australia did. I was 30 when I came over, so you can all do the maths. And after about 12 months, I started to teach online. And the the great thing about about being Australian and, and coming to the UK is that, you know, you can travel. Every time I wanted to go anywhere abroad, it was always like an epic, it had to be an epic adventure. It couldn't just be a jaunt, you know. So it was really it was really quite cool to be in London and to be able to travel to Europe whenever I felt like it or even New York and the and parts of the states really quickly. And so I did a lot of traveling, obviously. My roots are in Italy, so I got to spend a lot of time with family that I didn't know in Italy before. So that was pretty cool. And then I was here for about just after the 12-month period, I met this one in a pub. Naturally. Naturally. All right, now before we get to the the meeting, the meeting of the minds, did you always know that you wanted to be a teacher? Uh, 
yeah, it was one of those really stupid things. When I was growing up, my brother always was really like definite about what he wanted to be. He wanted to be a lawyer. He watched LA Law and he was, he was going to be this thing. And I was a couple of years younger than him and felt really immature because I didn't know what I wanted to be. So he said to me, oh, why don't you just decide, you know, just think of the things that you like and decide. And so my decision hilariously was based on the fact that I wanted to wear nice clothes to work yes. and I wanted to have holidays. What did say? Get your summers off, right? I wanted, to have two, I wanted to have a family and, you know, like at eight or whatever I was when I made the decision, right. I wanted to have a family. So I wanted a job that was conducive to family life, you know, growing right. up in an Italian environment that was very important. And so that's kind of the basis of why I made the decision to be a teacher. And I, and I did really and do still dabble in a bit of teaching and I do really enjoy I like sharing knowledge and helping people that's the main thing that I that I enjoy about doing doing that but for me it's it's the transition into other things has been basically because you know variety is a spice of life and and I found that just teaching was just too much (laughs) it's too it was too draining it was too emotionally exhausting so using my skills more diversely has made made it much more fun to teach and much more fun to do other things well you brought up being italian more than once and going to italy mm-hmm. now do you remember the table the eating the drinking oh, yeah. what were some of you know your favorite things that you maybe brought with you here or the first <laughs> thing you wanted to try in Italy, you know, when you were there in real life. Yeah, well, it's quite a funny one because, like, you know, the the family and extended family in, in Australia always kind of get together and, you know, there was one uncle who made wine, one uncle who made salami, you know. So, so those sorts of gatherings where people are making stuff together I thought were brilliant and it's, like, one of the things that I love doing is when I go home, I, I love to go and see my aunties who all want to feed me, which is great. So I have to kind of be careful. And, uh, you know, the the wine, the homemade wine, God love them, it's not great, has to be diluted <laughs> with, with, um, with lemonade in order just to make it palatable. But, but it's nice and it's, you know, it's a sharing kind of um, thing. It's also really strong and I'm not a big, strong drinker of alcohol. So, so... So other people might say it actually tastes really good, but for me it's just too potent. When it comes to the things that I, like the one thing that I really wanted to do when I came over here was to visit the extended family and to meet dad's aunts and cousins and and uncles and stuff. And, and that for me that was that was priceless, that, you know, just to be able to connect with people and to see people who look like my dad and all my aunties and stuff and so and to and to realize that there's just this even though time and space separates people there's still so much similarity there and so it was funny actually going to visit the family in because they're from the south in Calabria in a small the tip of the boot that kicks Sicily into the sea and going there the nice thing was you know you'd sit down at the table and it would be the same experience. It's the same dishes. Like my nonna was really good at teaching my mum how to cook the right way, according to my dad. And so you'd sit down at the table and it would be pasta forno the way that, you know, the way that my nonna would make pasta forno. And it, and it was 
you know, the glass of wine in the little bicchieri, you know, the, the small glass, not the big kind of fancy wine glass, you know, just those, those kinds of things just so foreign but so familiar at the same time. It was just really, that, that's the stuff I think is really cool. And how about you, Rob? What about me? Well, I was born in the West Midlands, a small town called Walsall. My parents came over with my grandparents in the late 50s from Jamaica when the big drive from the Commonwealth came to come over and, you know, help out and and build and stuff. And it was a factory town. There were loads of factories there at the time, which was mostly car manufacturing and parts for cars, engines and things like that. So they came over to do that. And uh, yeah, I was born there. So my experience of Warsaw growing up was it was community. You kind of knew everybody. If you weren't related to them in some way, you knew them. You went to school with their brother or their sister. And uh, so there was no kind of getting away. And uh, it's a town that's very much, when I was growing up, known by its pubs. So every other street, there used to be, you know, a pub there. And that's where the community was. And uh, in those days, it was very smoky, you know, filled with uh, cigarette smoke. And uh, that's how you, I always say, that's how you gave directions. I, I grew up giving directions. Do you know how to get to this place? Yeah, well, you go down the road to the Green Dragon and you take a left. You go down to the bottom of the road, you get to the Wheat Chief. You go over the roundabout. If you get to the Duke of York, you've gone too far. You've got to come back. That's how... You know, you gave, you gave, you, gave uh, you know, directions because that's how. And um, obviously, I'm going back a while now before the days of mobile phones and stuff. You wanted to meet your friend. Then it would be like, well, I'll meet you at the witchy for eight o'clock. You know, being there, you'd be there. You'd be waiting in the bar. Is he going to turn up? Has he been stopped? Is he, does he have to go and do an errand? But that's how we we operated and we still do operate by by you know by the pubs that's that's our navig that's our sat nav our navigation <laughs> well since you brought up jamaica yeah was your family were they rum drinkers did your you know family cook in a certain way that they brought over yeah or just adopt english cuisine right away and uh, no not right away i mean it's, it's a strange one because now mum adopts a lot of english cuisine now i think maybe because she's you know the kids have gone now and she's she's on her own so maybe for for ease you know and quickness she she has a lot of english cuisine but growing up there was a lot of you know west indian cuisine rice peas chicken lamb goat these these sorts of things at funerals or weddings or things like that the white rum would come out the old ray and nephew the staple the staple drink ray and nephew would come out and plus you know the guinness punch as i always remember my you know when you're young you have that smell of man i'm making the punch and she put the guineas in there she put the you know the, the, the milk in there and the nutmeg and it would smell so nice I don't even know what Guinness Punch is. This yeah. is the first time I've ever heard of it. So yeah. Guinness, yeah, and... yeah. So she did the Guinness Punch and, and and the Guinness. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to re- recall what it was and and, and the the punch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Guinness Punch, whatever Mum's Punch is, right? Yeah, yeah, Mum's Punch. Yeah, she's not really going to give that away, you know, with the nutmeg in there and stuff. But the thing was, is that they'd give me a little bit to drink. 
because you know I was young so I'd have a little bit to drink and I'd taste it and I'd be like oh yeah that, that, that's that's kind of nice but I also remember sometimes I'd go oh but that Guinness thing looks kind of nice as well and then they say oh you can't have it I said oh please and then they give me some to taste and I'd be like oh that is the worst thing in the world <laughs> Why would any adult want to drink something that is so hideous? And then, of course, a couple of decades later, it's, you know, it's fine. It's great. <laughs> but yeah, I yeah, remember that. So, yeah, so it was that sort of cuisine. And then the English cuisine there was just anything that was battered. So anything that you could, anything that you could put in a fryer, uh, that, that, that took a couple of minutes then that that was that was you know edible and then moving to london that became a bit of a shock that you could have things that weren't fried british cuisine that wasn't fried that was not fried <laughs> that why is that yeah <laughs> so you both met yeah. and a lot of years passed mm-hmm. we've been together for a while yeah tell me about the inception of the magazine and what the idea even came from because you could have done a magazine about anything, really. Why Why drinks in particular? I, I initially came to London in 99 for music. I followed a few of my friends down. And one of the only ones left because, you know, we, we, we came for glory. We, 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 came to, we came to take the music world by storm. And, we'd, you know, we'd love to tell a story. We had West Indies, we'd love to tell a story as well. And we were always in pubs if not there drinking we were playing so we would always gig in pubs and being in the heritage of pubs and it was that thing of of, of having a gig at a certain place and you'd go to that pub and it never really looked like anything to to speak of it didn't look great but then when you looked at the walls and you saw the types of musicians that played there you were like oh yeah they played there and we're playing it there. And one day we're going to be, you know, where they are. It was just that sort of aspiration thing, even though the floors were sticky and it was really sort of, you know, a dodgy dodge. It just had such history. So when the time came and we thought, what kind of magazine is it going to be? You know, we're sitting down uh, and I was thinking about it. You know, it would mention that. Why don't we do one about the sort of the history, the background of alcohol? You know, there's a lot of articles that are that are out about, you know, the education, the business side of it, things like that. But nothing that goes back into, did you know why this drink is like this? Did you know that in this part of the world they drink this drink? And I think that sort of fit in with my background, basically, and where I kind of came from in, in that sort of environment of being in a pub and telling a story and having that sort of background that, that appealed to me. I guess even before that, the question is, why did you even want to start a magazine? Ooh, well, <laughs> Sorry, we did one step too soon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What, what in this world where they keep telling us that, you know, magazines you know it's all about online let me tell you i'm a lover of holding something and reading it so i was Mm -hmm. so thrilled to have it in between my mitts but you know i i think you've answered a little bit of it of your both storytellers obviously you're both storytellers what was the little seed that started this so i think for us it's 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 that thing where 
we're kind of in that in-between age where we grew up without technology and there was much more time to savor things. You know, when we were growing up, we actually lived experiences. And and I look at like my nieces and they're so instant and quick and, you know, that's happened. Okay, now let's move on to the next thing. And that attention spans are not not there. And it's like for us, we want something that will last, something that people can savor and something that will be timeless. And that's, we don't think that's online. That doesn't mean that we don't engage online. We're, We're very present online and we we're building a a strong followership online and we think that's really important but we also think it's really important to have something that's not that will last that that's that I can pick up in in a year and go oh I remember that story let me let me remind myself of it and let me enjoy it and also like there is nothing better than picking up something that's freshly printed and having a good old whiff of it and, you know, feeling the texture. If, if you pick up, like, the magazine that you've got there, Susan, it, if you pick it up, you feel there's a texture to the outside of it. We've made it, we've tried to make it a real visceral experience if that's, you, you know, like you can feel it, you can smell the book, you can, you know, it, it's like a book. It's more like a book than a magazine. The other thing is we, we really like a challenge. And a lot of people are saying, you know, print is dead, print is dead, print is dead. We don't think it is. You know, we were talking about long playing records the other day and people have been talking about long playing records being, you know, LPs being dead for a long time. But now, you know, the market for for LP records (laughs) is really strong. People like to collect things. People like to have these sorts of special items and I don't know. It, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like you say, the, the vinyl is doing really well. Cassette tape apparently is making a is making a comeback as well. People are using VHS, but I think that with the magazine, it was a, I think it was something which was more than just the stories. I think it was the the challenge was could we make something an actual product that went just beyond the stories, the images the playlist, I don't know, maybe you want to talk about later, but something that was there that you could hold. And, you know, when you look at it, it's a 100% recycled paper. The ink is vegetable-based, so it's a vegetable-based dye. So it's creating this kind of bespoke product that will go to, you know, select group of people and really attract their attention and grab their attention, not you know, just as they're flicking. And I thought to myself, wouldn't that be really be great to wherever, somewhere in the world, and it's great to see the people around the world as they're starting to get it, it to that you've got their attention for a while, not just, you know, not just, you know, a fleet or a, or a click. I thought that's really nice as well. Mm. So you have this idea to do the history of cocktails. Did you know immediately that you wanted Tristan to be the editor? Yeah, well, I think with, with Tristan, he he was somebody that I've known for a while, and he's somebody that's always been print based. He'd never really done anything digital, so I thought, you know, if I am going to go into this, I'm going to need somebody who understands it, you know, and 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 is really in it. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I approached him about the project, 
And uh, yeah, he was really excited about it. And uh, he went, yeah, I think I know some people that would uh, would like to get involved in it. Mm. And also there's a, there's another connection. So Tristan is from the same part of the country as Rob is from. So they had they had a little bit of a, a bond there. They're both from the West Midlands. So Tristan is from a place called Litchfield, which is a bit bit posher. But still, you know, like they're both, you know, in the vicinity of Birmingham. <laughs> and did he come to you with ideas of different topics or did you, you know, throw it out there to the writers you knew and said, come back to us with some ideas and let's go that way? Yeah, he's the person that really... We we deal with all of the sort of, you know, design and production and the images and all of that. So Tristan's sole job is to get the articles. And so he went out there to the to the people that he knew and, uh, yeah, got the articles. Yeah, and I'm yeah, really impressed with uh, what he's got. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I learned so much. And saying that, you know, especially about the Negroni, all these years we've all been saying, oh, it's Count Camillo Negroni, when <laughs> there may not be even a Count Camillo <laughs> Right. I've been telling that story for years. It's funny how like a lot of these kind of myths crop up about different different drinks and stuff. And it's funny how they just kind of get amplified and amplified over time. And then all of a sudden somebody goes, actually, really? Is that is that what happened? And then they do a bit of research and go, there was no kind of groaning. You know, North Korea, going into North yeah. Korea and Iceland, you know, it's it's really a as you say, it's, you know, it's, it's as much a, a travel magazine and, yeah. and history magazine as it yeah. is, you know, a drinks magazine, mm-hmm. yeah. which is fantastic. And you brought it up, Rob, the music, you know, yeah. at the end you have a playlist to go along with each article, yeah. which I thought was fabulous. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, why? I wish I had known that at the beginning. Now I now what makes it great is that I now want to go back, reread yeah. those articles mm-hmm. with the music playing behind it. Yeah. So was that was I I am assuming, and of course you're probably gonna uh, hopefully you're saying yes, that was in your hands. You chose the music. Yeah, yeah. So that was it, mate. That was in my hands. I mean, the thing is as as you know, the articles were coming in, I'd because I'm quite a sort of, you know visual person and I always hear a soundtrack's always going in my mind anyway so as I was reading them I kind of thought to myself, oh does that song oh, might go with that one and I was listening to that song that may go and I thought well why don't I put a playlist together you know something and, and again this is something that I wanted to take outside of the outside of the magazine so yeah as you're reading it you've got things that may be in the playlist that may be obvious like the Negroni track for example so you think, okay, I know that one. But there were, you know, there's other tracks in there as well. In there's that the, the the person that wrote it may be from the area that we talk about and uh, things like that. So so it's also it's, uh, like a little adventure, basically, to think, oh, while I'm listening to the playlist, oh, why is that one in there? Oh, that's because that's related to that, you know, because he was born there or the, the, the yeah, so, or it was recorded there or something. So, yes, a little bit of an Easter egg. Now, I got my magazine with Michael Caine on the cover because mm-hmm. I love Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. But I hear that there are two covers. Yeah, well, we decided to give people a little bit of a choice. So we've got two covers. And, and one of the things that about Tonic and, and with this and the designer, 
Neil Minow, who I think did a really good job in designing the whole thing, was that on the front, we decided to have a tonic moment. So on the, on, on the front here, we've got Diana Ross and Michael Caine, and they're both tonic moments. And the reason that we've got, uh, we'll do the other one first. We'll do, the reason that we've got Michael Caine is that Michael Caine represents that sort of 60s coming out of the, the, the war. There was the, you know, the depression and everything, you know, there's a lot of money was owed. It was, it was you know, really tough going. And, my, and Michael Caine was from the East End of London, very working class, you know, then, you know, market traders and all that sort of thing. And here he is here coming out of that, the swinging 60s, you know, that, you know, James Bond was just about, you had the mini skirt and, you know, the mini and, and, and here he was with uh, this. This isn't the Italian job, but, you know, the Italian job, you know, there was all this sort of glamour, the Beatles, the Stones and everything. And so Michael Caine on the front of there with the, with the cocktail in his hand sort of represents that. And that was for us the tonic moment that England was coming out of that sort of um, World War Two depression and was, you know, bursting into colour and was bursting into life with Michael Caine here with the cocktail in his hand. Whereas Diana Ross, that tonic moment was different because she is the queen of Motown, you know, the beehive, the Beyonce of her day, the glamour, the everything, the fingernails. And here she is backstage at a gig in, in Germany in the 70s drinking a beer. So it's just that dynamic between the guy from the East End of London with a cocktail and, you know, the Queen Diva drinking the beer. So we liked that sort of, you know, that, that sort of, yeah, that, yeah that, that sort of play. So, but it's been interesting as, you know, the copies are starting, you know, are starting to fly out. Who picks which one? And, it, and sometimes you have a little bit of a guess and sometimes you can't guess it right because you think, oh, this person's definitely going to go for Michael. They go for, you know. They go for uh, Diana Ross, and you think, "Oh, that person's going to go for Diana Ross." They go for Michael Caine, and uh, yeah, so so it's been interesting. I think you can correct me, Diana Ross, maybe a little bit in front, just slightly, just, ever so slightly, just slightly in front. I think this is controversial now, but I'll put it out there. I think that Michael Caine has a little bit of Brexiteer baggage to him, <laughs> so. I think that some people have sort of put the brakes on him a little bit because of that and have decided to veer towards the, 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 the you know, the Diana Ross. But, uh, but in saying that, he, he you know, he, he's, he's in his pump there and everything. And I still do think that they're new covers. So the one thing that does keep me awake at night is how do I, what is my next tonic moment and what will well, it be? You know, an obvious question that I didn't ask you is why the name Tonic? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it just like we we've played around with a with a lot of different names and tonic really really sat well just because it's it's a bit of a play so obviously there's the gin and tonic or the you know as the mixer which is really the core of what we want to do like create opportunities for people to to 
come together and tell stories and share and share experience. And that's very much a tonic for life. And it's become more poignant, I think, given the circumstances. So, so you know, it really, it really is a tonic to be able to read and, and go on journeys across the globe at a time when we just can't. So it's kind of been serendipitous, actually, the name, because it does really fit into what we what we do. And, you know, the idea of the tonic moment is something that we really worked on in the branding phase of what we were doing. And and it really is about sharing those moments. You know, there's a there's a piece that I wrote for the website about, you know, growing up pretty ill-educated about alcohol and asking my great uncle who was a wine salesman, you know, what what makes a good wine? And and he was like, oh, but, he, you know, I'll teach you, I'll teach you. And so he sat me at the bar and it was one of those, you know, old 70s kind of leather quilted kind of home bar things with the stools and everything. It was really, and he sat me down and he opened the wine, he poured it out and he asked me to taste and smell and, you know, all the things that you do when you, when you are um, teaching somebody what makes a good wine. And he basically just said, you know, do you like it? Does it smell nice? Yes. Does it taste nice? Yes. Well, then it's a good wine, love. You know, and it's that, it's sort of taking that, that elitism, I think, away that from, from drinking that we really wanted to do, you know, like we enjoy drinking. We probably don't know enough about drinking and what to drink and what not to drink. We're still learning. We're still on a journey, but we just, it's just about making it accessible to everybody, you know, and, and showing people where it comes from and you know while you might not be able to identify the fruity flavor in your wine or the particular ingredient of a cocktail you will be able to tell somebody at a dinner party or down the or down at the local pub or at a bar or you know anywhere in the park these days that you know something special about negroni or you know church wine wine. (laughs) you know that will bring you into that conversation voodoo voodoo rum you know that will bring you into that conversation and make you feel part of it, and that's that's basically the core of what we w- wanted to achieve through through the magazine. And unfortunately, you know, with COVID, etc., we haven't been able to do one of the big parts of what we wanted to do, which was to create opportunities for people to come together that don't know each other, that don't normally socialize with each other. You know, like just social gatherings, wine tastings, cocktail mixes, you know, just just being able to bring people together to share lived experience the world over. So hopefully in the coming 12 months, 2021 is going to be a big year. We can we can start doing that and opening things up with everybody and supporting some of these um, amazing local bars and that really need our support to keep going. Let's go back to you know, although it's about history and you're both, you know, musician, storyteller, you're both storytelling in your own way. Are you, are you drinkers? I mean, do you like to go out for cocktails? Are there places that you're locals that you've been going to for a while that you can bring this to and say, Hey, look, I'm doing this. (laughs) A lot of questions at once. I know. Yeah. It's funny actually, because, because my, my, my mum found out from my cousin like I told her that we were doing this, but she didn't understand. 
she found out from my cousin that the magazine was about drink and she said, Benita's not a big drinker. And I went, yeah, I'm not a big drinker. There's a, there's this preconception about Australians, I guess, in England especially, that, you know, we're all kind of crazy drinkers. I'm not a big drinker. I like to drink when I like to drink, what I like to drink. So I like to go out for a cocktail with my girlfriends. I like to, you know, I love, should I say, love to have a champagne even when there's no proper occasion to have a champagne. And I like to go down the pub and meet people and, you know, and to just catch up. And for me, the drinking is about the social. It's not about, it's not about getting drunk or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not a drunk person. I, I'm a drink person, if, if that makes sense. And so that's why mum got a bit confused. Just like we've taken to having nightcaps actually during mm. lockdown where we would normally kind of go out for a drink. We've taken to try and, you know, make our own at home, which has been nice and, you know, been a nice way to unwind at the end of a long day and just to mix it up a little bit, really. Yeah. Have, has there been anything specific that you've been making? Well, I've I've started to do these gin cocktails. So, like, I'm just experimenting with different gin cocktails. I joined this kind of clubby thing and they send me ingredients. So I just, like, try whatever they send me, which is really cool. And it just means that you just extend yourself a little bit, you know, you just try try new things and, and you get nice bottles of gin. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about you, Rob? So you were drinking your, your Guinness. Yes. Well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the thing is with me, it's strange because I actually drink less now, This, but drink better, should I say, you know, because you learn different things and then people, you know, tell you all these different stories and stuff so I've now I find myself going into bars when they open well now they're open but please stay open and you know <laughs> let us travel again but now you know I find myself going into places and and asking the bartender questions whereas before it just used to be point to something and that's what I know so I will just point to that whereas now I find myself more going hmm I feel like this today. Do you have anything that's like this? And especially, you know, with a mixologist and things like that, it's, I always find it fascinating because they're almost like, they're not pouring something into a, they're like chefs, aren't they? They're making something in front of you that, you know, wasn't there before. And now all of a sudden, boom, it's, you know, it's their creation. So I find myself doing more of that, you know, drinking less, but, but drinking, you know, better, trusting the bartender more and, experimenting mm-hmm. you know and and there's sometimes you might go oh that was a bit but it's not but it's not bad that that happens Do you know what I mean before I think you would think oh that was a waste of time that was terrible but now I'm a lot more like mm, that wasn't for me but I know that now now I know that I need to go in this direction instead so I think that's yeah I think that's come from the magazine yeah I you know definitely I feel there's a correlation between the the chef world and the you know, it's all the food world. That's why I ask about people's relationships and their histories with food. Mm, yeah. Because really more times than less, there's, you know, someone has been involved or had a big family like you 
Benita or and Rob that mm-hmm. you know spend a lot of time around food and then they're drawn to certain aspects of drink a little bit more than maybe someone who hasn't that had that. Mm-hmm. And I love that connection. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely direct line to the drinks world is definitely the food world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. has there been something that has surprised you about creating tonic? <laughs> well, well, we did get a lot. We were, we were fortunate in, we knew a few people that had magazines as well. So it was good to avoid their mistakes and make our own. So <laughs> that was, so we were able to cut straight past that and just go into, you know, our own. And then I think lockdown has been, something which obviously well nobody expected it you know and so that that has been something that's been challenging hasn't it yeah very much so and and, well that's because you know we're stubborn (laughs) (laughs) yeah well we're almost there now so we might as well just continue you know we've come this far Mm -hmm. let's just you know Mm -hmm. the magazine came out two weeks ago and we've had a lot of people really interested. I've had a lot of people come to us and buy copies. We've we've um, even got international stockists now within just two weeks, which is I think pretty cool. Yeah. The fact that there's shops where do tell so New York, Sweden, Milan, and uh, Forli in in a, a small village in Italy. We've been stocked there. I didn't know anybody there. They just came to us and said, "Hey, yeah, Munich. Oh yeah, Munich, Ireland, Ireland, yeah." And a couple of places in the UK as well. Two weeks ago, you didn't have that. No. no. This is all just happening too, like Bath and, and London as well. Uh-huh. So we've got, so, and there's a few others in the pipeline that haven't haven't come to pass yet because it's only been two weeks. Mm-hmm. But but that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to know that, that people, like we've created something that people want the world over. We didn't expect it, I don't think. I, don't, I, I didn't personally expect it. The magazine to go further than our shores when lockdown happened and you know one of the one of the things we wanted to do and you know if there's anybody out there who who fancies it was we wanted to have our magazines in bars for people to read while they were drinking and in hotels and things like that because we think it's you know it's the quality that should be in places like that the quality of publication that should be in places like that but obviously with lockdown and with all of the restrictions about, you know, paper and which which apparently apparently you can't transmit, I don't know, but a doctor person told me you can't transmit off paper, but everybody's being super cautious. So that was where we thought we were going to distribute a lot of our magazines, but then we just kind of went, oh, God, what do we do now? And then all of a sudden these, these international stockists have come to us and, and a lot of them have actually come to us before we've approached them like the fact that the word has kind of gotten out there and people are like oh we've heard about you so you know that's been cool yeah Yeah. so are you thinking about volume two yet (laughs) i think we were thinking about volume two before we finished volume (laughs) one to be honest (laughs) my annual right yeah yeah Yeah. thank god yeah oh no i was gonna say would you make it sooner than well it depends you know like the the idea of starting it biannually was that if it was really popular that we we had the scope to grow into a quarterly but I don't think we would grow much bigger than a quarterly I don't I can't imagine I can't imagine it being feasible to be honest to do more than four a year 
just with time. It's very design-led. The editorial is really important to us. So, so we do spend a lot of time going over it and making sure that, you know, we hear voices from different parts of the world. And, you know, even more so, one of the things that we, w- we were talking about with the editor this week actually was, was the idea that we wanted more local contributors. So we really want people in their own destinations telling us their own stories so I think almost almost all of the contributors in this edition are British based Mm -hmm. we had one Zimbabwe born but US based and we had one British born and US based as well but the rest are are domestic to the UK so I think the next volume is is definitely going to have voices from Asia voices from Africa voices from Europe just people telling their stories because it's like for us that's the thing you know one of the coolest things that I experienced when I started traveling was it wasn't going to the Eiffel Tower or the Louvre or the Colosseum or whatever it wasn't those experiences that I remembered it was hooking up with a bunch of random people who were local in a small cavernous bar in Prague and drinking Bekarovka. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, like it, 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 it's those experiences, those meeting the locals and feeling and feeling that. And I think I think one of the things that lockdown has taught us is that, you know, everybody says travel far and wide. And, you know, sure, I'm a big advocate of that, obviously, because I've come to the other side of the world. But, but the thing about it is that there's so much to experience on your doorstep that you wouldn't normally experience because you'd be spending your time going abroad instead and you know while we still want to go abroad (laughs) we're also savoring some of the opportunities to go and do more local things and check out the little craft places and stuff like that i have to say that one experience reading your magazine that I know, and since it is coming towards Christmas time and holiday time, that was just an eye opener for me was hearing from a priest <laughs> discussing holy wine. Yeah. And I think that is the first time I have ever read anything about holy wine. And the fact that it is illegal to have non-alcoholic holy wine (laughs) for the Church of England. So, you know, it's funny, just like you were saying, no matter how far away you go, some of the best stories are right around your hometown, which is London for me, or wherever he was writing from, but in the UK. Yeah, yeah. He, he was in Litchfield. Yeah. So yeah. he's... He's uh, it's Tristan's priest. Tristan's priest. <laughs> I, you know, and yeah. so that was a heavenly story in many ways, mm. right? Yeah. I had to use the word heavenly, right? Mm. <laughs> so I think we need a drink to toast your new magazine. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to make? What's your favorite new gin cocktail? Uh, well, I've just, I've got this new gin from South Africa. It's a Pinar and Sun Orient gin, and it's really lovely. So that with a bit of maybe Mediterranean fever tree tonic and some cardamom. That sounds good to me. Rob, are you drinking that as well? Yes, I will be drinking that as well. All right. So I will toast to you and hopefully a brand new year 
full of possibilities <laughs> the last year. And thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks Thanks for having us. us. It's a thrill. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You know I couldn't leave Benita and Rob without asking for their top tips for the home bartender and where they would have a drink right now if they could choose anywhere in the world. Well, I've got two. One is, you know, I, I joined a club during lockdown, a gin craft gin club, which has been great. They send me a box every month with a different bottle of gin and, and a recipe, like a magazine with recipes for different things to do, and that's really spiced things up. And the other thing would be to go to a bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the thing is there's not, nothing beats a cocktail made by a bartender. And so, honestly, when we opened up the last time in, in the summer, you know, I took the opportunity to, to go to a couple of bars and to and to just get the real McCoy from from the real professionals and nothing really beats that and I'm really looking forward to doing that again this time. How about you Rob? Yeah <clears throat> well I said what Benita's saying really join, join the club I think that it's been good to kind of get you started kind of get the get the fundamentals down the basics you know with, with the, you know there's there's a group of you then and it's all just it's all just fun there's nothing you know you're not doing anything wrong or anything and you can just share your tips so yeah, I'd say that. And if you could be anywhere in the world drinking anything, where would that be? Rob, you <laughs> at this time. All right, okay. Well, you know what it's like, uh, Susan. Being from London, we can travel anywhere in the world, no problem. But to go to the other side of London is a big, big deal for us, you know. So for, for me to go from here, North London, to West London, to Slice Bar, Trailer Happiness, to taste some of his cocktails. I don't mind doing that for him and his bar. So, yeah, I'd like to be there. And for me, it's a bit further. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. I haven't been able to get home to Australia for a couple of years. I had planned on heading back in May. And one of the things that I love to do when I'm home is go to my cousin's barretta, which is called Joni's in, in Thornbury in Melbourne. And they do this thing that I love. It's uh, it's called Aperitivo Sunday. And um, basically it's Aperol Spritz and Mates. And it's so nice to just go and even though, and you probably appreciate this being from abroad as well, no matter the distance, no matter the time, you you kind of get there and everything just sort of slots into place and the rhythm sort of hits and it feels like no time has passed, you know, chatting over good drinks with good friends and in a cool place. So that's where I would like to be. I so want to thank Benita and Rob for being on the show. Since they mentioned Trailer Happiness, I thought it would be apropos to have one of Sly's creations as our Cocktail of the Week. Since we are all dreaming of warmer climes, I know I am, and with that are rum cocktails, I thought we could revisit a past Cocktail of the Week, the Trailer Happiness Daiquiri. It's so easy. All you need to do is add 50 mils of Don Q Crystal Rum, 25 mils of lime juice, and 20 mils of one-to-one sugar syrup to a shaker. Add ice, and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain it into a chilled coupe glass and sip. 
You'll find this recipe plus more rum recipes and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. I've known Benita and Rob for at least five years. We are all involved with the British Guild of Travel Writers, another industry that has been massively hit by coronavirus. Not only will you have fun reading The Tonic Magazine, but you are also supporting some of the best writers in the biz. So if you live for lush life, make sure you're giving back to the bars or restaurants or writers you love by donating or eating out or taking part in cocktail or food delivery or buying magazines where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly and wash your hands and wear a mask. Next week, my guest will end the year by answering questions about herself to put an end to all those rumors. Until that time, bottoms up.